Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. My name is Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy for Credit Sites. And today I have with me Hunter Martin. He's our senior analyst covering investment grade media, cable, and telecom. And today we're going to have a chat about the media sector, which has had a lot of headlines over the past 12 months and is generally what we would consider a bit of a cyclical sector. So I think that this will be a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's jump right into our first question. And I've really enjoyed asking analysts this question. We get some really interesting responses. And that is, if you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic, credit market, or sector-specific data for 2023, what would it be? Okay, so I think I'm going to go with industry data. I'm going to guess that that's probably what a lot of people are choosing. But what I want to know about is how these, what's called the upfront negotiations, how they come out. So the upfront happen in the spring and they're when the big TV networks get together, they meet with the ad agencies, the big marketers, and they basically determine the pricing for the next year's uh, national TV pricing and volumes, right? So why I want to know this, like, so clearly TV advertising is huge for the media sector, right? We have a bunch of the biggest companies getting 20 to 50% of their revenue from advertising. The national advertising market, unsurprisingly, has been under pressure. Really since late last year, we have revenues down probably low single digit to low double digit, depending on the company. Right now, like the companies have been talking about kind of signs of stabilization at these lower levels, but no one is talking about recovery. So what I'm interested in these upfronts is right now, this kind of pressure has been impacting financials, but around between 50% to 70% of the actual inventory is actually sold in advance in these upfronts. So like my concern is if this kind of like weak market continues to persist up until spring, when we get to these upfronts, even if macro conditions improve, you're going to kind of have this lower price base that's going to feed through really into the next year. And that's going to be problematic just for sentiment. Also, it's going to add to financial pressure for a lot of these TV focused companies that I follow. It's interesting having a conversation where pricing pressure is an, an opposite impact right yeah, now. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I thought about that. Yeah. So we're finding where there's actually disinflation in the system and it is in advertising. Yeah. Awesome. So with those pressures in mind, how have you been telling investors to position in the media sector for this year? What's your recommendation and why are you positioned that way? Sure. So I would say that kind of when it comes to the fundamental drivers, 
we have been kind of negative. And this, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the way this feeds through to our recommendations. But so on the macro side, this is clearly a headwind and it's mainly on TV advertising. But we've also seen a lot of softness in the ad market, which is a driver for other subsectors like radio and outdoor. So it is a big for operating trends as well as sentiment. But that's kind of more of a temporary thing, hopefully. But we also have these kind of large concerns when it comes to more medium-term kind of structural pressures. I would say those are specifically around TV. So we have seen kind of this acceleration in the collapse of the pay TV bundle. And that's really the foundation of kind of profits, free cash flow generation for both broadcast cable networks as well as some local TV stations. On that, we've seen cord cutting. You know, it's been rising a lot. It's around 7% exiting last year. We think that's going to go up to 8%. Viewership, which impacts ads, is, is under even more pressure because people are just watching less TV, using TikTok, playing video games. And then another structural pressure is this kind of shift of TV delivery from this old pay TV bundle to now directing consumer streaming platforms, where really just the economics they're a lot worse, right? So a lot of these companies making losses, there's not a clear line of sight to profitability. So all that together kind of points to just a negative stance, excluding relative value. And I would say on our high yield recommendation, we are at an underperform. And that's something that we did shift kind of heading into the year. The view was that with these advertising pressures, with the loss of political revenue next year, accelerated cord cutting, that was all going to way on financial metrics, way on investor sentiment. And that's kind of why we shifted to that underperform. On the IG market, we actually had this weird situation where we had the kind of these negative fundamental and financial drivers, but we thought a lot of it was priced in and we actually ended up coming out on a market perform. And the reason there is there were two companies, Warner Brothers Discovery and Netflix, that were relatively high yielding within the IG space. They're very large. They make up 40% of the IG media index. And we were pretty constructive on them, had them both on outperform. So just given that view, we really couldn't rate the sector as an underperform. So we ended up with a market perform there, but it's just kind of the RV offset, the fundamental pressures. Totally fair. I think that we're seeing that in a lot of sectors. Either way, where some places fundamentals are okay and the rv is just not there i think that the ig tech sector is kind of a good example of that or even ig retail where fundamentals are not as good as they were in 2021 but the relative value is just not particularly attractive so we're underweight there i also find it astounding that given how much tv content there is now out there on all of these different platforms that people are watching less TV. It's like we've had information overload, so now we're just all gonna be on TikTok instead. I mean, listen, people still watch a lot of TV. I forget if the average is like eight hours a day, something insane, but eight you have this- Eight hours a day? It's, what? it's crazy, but the reason is because you have kind of older people who just have the TV on all day. They're watching Judge du Judy, they're watching the local news. It's just on in the background. And then you have younger people, like if you look at the chart, like the usage of younger people it just continues to decline every year. Those younger people are going to keep getting older and their TV habits, maybe they'll watch a bit more as they have more free time. But like, that's the kind of dynamic we see. And what's interesting is if you think about advertisers, right, 
they want to hit younger people before you've established that you want to buy like this brand of cleaner or dishwashing detergent or something like that. Once you're 60 years old, you're kind of being marketed to something something completely separate. So it's a problem for these advertisers. And it's also why they're kind of starting to shift over and they're really excited to advertise on these streaming services, right? That just have kind of a younger demographic as well. Sorry yeah. for that tangent, but I want to... No, I like the tangent. I find it fascinating, these things. And my parents are 100% guilty of always having the TV on. It makes me crazy when I'm at their house because I never have the TV on. I get enough stimulation from my day-to-day job where I'm constantly at screens that the last thing that I want to do is listen to Fox News blaring in my ear. And that's how it is sometimes. So do you still have cable at your house? Have you cut the cord? still have a pay TV bundle. And the reason is just, I have an insanely priced deal from Verizon Fi. Mm-hmm. get like a gig fiber connection with HBO, with Showtime and everything. Like the TV is basically thrown in for free. Like I would be paying the same amount anyway. So like, I'm just waiting. I signed the longest like deal possible. It is intro promotion. It should have cut off by now. I'm nervous that when it happens, I'm going to have to like pay for all this stuff myself, but I do pay for it. Yes. Still. But do I watch live TV? Like very, very, very rarely. Like only if there's a sporting event, essentially. Yeah. We cut the cord in 2017. We moved in 2016, had the kind of year mover promotion. And then we said enough with this. And some days I kind of want it back because I have a hard time navigating all of the different (laughs) platforms of where I want to consume my content. And I want to just go back to watching HGTV all day, which is what I would do if I had a TV bundle. All right. So I digress. Let's talk about the primary market, new issue activity. If we have this kind of weakening fundamental outlook, I feel like that has some different implications for new issue. Are we going to see consolidation and some M&A deals? Are we just in strict refi mode? How are you thinking about new issue activity this year? Sure. So, I mean, to summarize, it's going to be a very quiet year, both for IG media, and I think as well as high yield media. So on the IG side, you know, we're only expecting maybe $5 billion this year. We've had $1.5 billion already, which was just Warner Brothers Discovery doing one of those infamous three-year non-call one deals, right, that we've seen. But like last year, Warner Brothers Discovery issued $30 billion of bonds because they bought Warner Media. So it's going to be down massively. We see like really the only big deals we see are kind of companies that are like looking to refinance kind of like 24, 25 maturity. So we think Fox can kind of like get ahead, do a refinance. Disney maybe could refinance some maturities or do a little bit of funding ahead of a, a likely Hulu buyout next year. But really, there's no big M&A in the pipeline. These companies, I would commend their foes and treasury teams for really terming out their maturity profiles back in like 2020, 2021 in the low rate environment. So it's a nice technical support, I would say, I would say for the space. We have some, a big company like a Warner Brothers Discovery focused really on debt reduction. So hopefully they will pivot over by the end of this year from like an issuance to a, you know, start to see those bond tenders and stuff like that. That would be really nice. High yield, very similar. A lot of these companies, limited issuance expectation. We also were expecting 5 billion just across a few different companies heading into this year. But a big component of that, when we did our initial forecast, was 
we thought this Tegna deal was going to happen, and that looks like it's going to be going to be blocked. So that's going to kind of remove a, a source of supply. So it's really companies that are um, proactively trying to to refinance like 2024, or 2025 stuff. I think it's going to be limited. I will also highlight because I know you kind of want to hear about like anything unique or interesting. So I think there's kind of two things that. I've seen so far in high yield media that are kind of unusual. So one is AMC Networks. They tendered for 800 million of 24s and 25s. Um, so they're kind of these are their nearest maturities, and they're planning to refinance those unsecured bonds with a secured term loan. So that is unusual. They're upping the amount of secured debt. They're probably going to pay a higher. They will definitely pay a higher coupon rate or higher interest rate on that. But I guess they just want to get as much runway as possible, given all those kind of structural issues that we spoke about earlier within the space. And another one that's interesting is this company Lionsgate that we we don't cover yet, but we're kind of approaching launching coverage on that. That company has a film and TV studio and then has the Stars TV network. They're planning to kind of split those two businesses going forward and the bonds, it looks like are going to stay with stars, but they're talking about replacing the bank loans the company has talked about that they have um, at the studio side with some asset-backed facilities that relate to unsold library rights. So kind of a unique financing structure there that would kind of potentially remove them from the vanilla loan market into something just a bit more unique. That is interesting. Issuers pursuing some alternative avenues for financing that you know would not necessarily be the kind of straightforward answer. So we've talked a little bit about the fundamentals feeling a little bit scary. So what keeps you up at night? What are some of the less obvious risks? Are there ratings pressures that you're kind of keeping on the radar? Or is the potential for a blowout 2024 political year going to catch us off sides? Wow. So great question. I mean, it's hard to really find a real positive theme. Like uh, there's just so much uncertainty in the space. On the political side, Davis Bear, who covers the high yield broadcasters, I do think he's kind of like negative for 23, 24. We'll be more constructive probably at the end of the year. He does expect a blowout political year next year, which I would agree with. But so in terms of like what keeps me up at night, there's a few things. So one is, you mentioned this, like, I do think fallen angel risk is a concern, right? And particularly for two companies, like fairly large companies, and those are Paramount Global and Warner Brothers Discovery. So Winnie, I'm pretty sure you can explain this better than me, but Credit Sites has a proprietary fallen angel score. Um, I will not speak to how it is calculated, but it ranks the probability or tries to uh, use a variety of inputs to kind of estimate or forecast the probability of fallen angel downgrades within the next 12 months. So these two companies, Paramount, we have at around 10%, and Warner Brothers Discovery comes up at around 20%. Uh, and those are those are relatively high. I think Warner Brothers Discovery is probably like a top 10 in terms of the probability of a downgrade. So like that is a concern, right? Metrics for these companies are also very high. So Warner Brothers Discovery has starting the year with five times net leverage, extremely high for the space. Usually IG, the cutoff for an IG large like TV media company was maybe three and a half times leverage. We have high confidence they're going to deleverage this year. They're targeting to be below four times at the end of next year. Paramount, we have them going from four times up to five times this year. So like 
it's just always hard to time rating agencies. They can change kind of the requirements at any time. So that is something that leaves me concerned. Another one, a big one, just kind of shifting over, is just M&A uncertainty, right? So given these structural pressures, there is this expectation that there's going to be more consolidation in this space. And there's really three ways that M&A can go. Like one, I think, could be pretty good for these companies and the other two a lot less good and it's hard to know which one's going to be your good outcome right is if a weaker player like a paramount or an amc networks if those are bought by a bigger company of comcast with nbc universal they decide to just gobble up one of these small ones incredible outcome right if you're a paramount bondholder where you're like basically the widest name in all of ig non-financials or amc if you're a high yield holder in these bonds that are yielding over 10 percent, that would be incredible if you're bought by this a minus rated company right and that's something that's kind of if you're negative on these two companies which i am it's a concern like that we get one of these stories um i do think there's always a question would a tech company would an apple would an amazon buy one of these and like i was always pessimistic of that and i think that given the regulatory environment given the fact that I don't think these companies want to increase exposure to that kind of declining pay TV bundle. Like I really do not see that as a risk, but I do see a risk of a stronger company like an NBC universal or something buying one of these or risk to kind of, if you are negative on them, but the other one, the other kind of outcomes are we could see a weaker player, you know, like one of these companies, they could act as a consolidator and start kind of rolling up other weak players. Maybe they reach out for the help from like private equity companies to do this as well. Like that is not a good outcome, right? If you're Paramount and then you start to like roll up some other smaller networks or if you're AMC and you like their free cash flow, but then you see them start to acquire some other kind of declining cable networks. Uh, not really something I think people would be excited to invest in. And finally is the situation where these companies can be broken up or split into parts. And that's what we're seeing happen with Lionsgate, right? Where they're splitting up this TV studio and film studio that has like a big library of highly profitable films that just throw off cash. And they have this kind of more pressured premium cable business, Stars, and the bondholders are going to end up at Stars. And that template could occur at like a Paramount or something where it's like eventually they could say, hey, investors aren't giving us credit for everything we own. Maybe we should separate our nice film and TV studio from our MTVs and Nickelodeons, these kind of declining networks. And the bondholders in that case are going to get stuck with the cash generative but declining networks. That's another thing I kind of worry about is just so much uncertainty about M&A. We know it's going to happen. Um, we don't know how it's going to happen. And it could be either really good or really bad. So I will stop there because I think I've been talking a lot. So I'll pass it over to you. Super helpful. I mean, I think that everyone is looking for places where M&A risk is building or the potential for M&A is building because last year was pretty modest year for M&A. This year we're off to a little bit busier start, but it's still not robust. So I think there's a lot of focus on where are the sectors where consolidation is an actual risk. I guess my question back to you is, do you think that these types of deals or discussions are already actively being had? Or do we need to see kind of debt valuations and borrowing costs stabilize a little bit more? How do you think through the timeline a little bit? So, I mean, that is a great question. My view is that when it comes to the big transformational deals, say like what's going to happen with Paramount or 
will Comcast buy something for NBC Universal or spin it off? My personal view is that that's probably going to be 2024 business. And another big driver of that is Warner Brothers Discovery. When they bought Warner Media, that was spun off from AT&T in a tax-free transaction. And without going into too much details, there could be some negative ta tax implications if they were to do a an M&A deal within two years from closing, which I believe was April 2022. So we think Warner Brothers Discovery is just this huge player. It's kind of like if two big companies, two medium-sized companies want to kind of scale up and compete with an Amazon or an Apple or a Netflix, that's kind of a key piece. So I don't think any of the others, like an NBCU or a Paramount, are going to want to do anything until they kind of have the ability to really discuss that with Warner Brothers Discovery. On the high yield side, right, like that's where I think when it comes to this like rate environment, I do think that is something that would kind of reduce the likelihood as well of something happening in the near term. But, you know, there tends to be, there, there continues to be just headlines. So just in the last two weeks, there was headlines that there was a private equity bid of $3 billion for Showtime. There was another story that kind of Paramount uh, is shopping BET that would also kind of potentially be bought in kind of a high yield construct. So it's something that I think the bar should be higher, but it appears that these companies are still hearing them and it's kind of inevitable that something happens. So do I think the likelihood is more kind of 24 as the year that the next big domino kind of falls for the space? But um, I just cannot rule anything out just given that there continues to just be a news flow on this. Have you ruled out Diddy buying BET? So that was a great headline. And I'm really, oh, we've got Diddy involved. We've got Tyler Perry involved. I think that's pretty cool. Byron yeah. Allen. So you have like some big names, but I think if anyone buys it, it will probably be in cooperation with like a private equity sponsor or something like that. But I kind of hope Diddy does buy it though. That'd be, that'd be cool. I, I want Diddy to educate the masses on LBO transactions in his Yes, I know. So then when you're at parties and stuff, you don't have to explain it. Like they will know from, from reading about Diddy will have done it for you. I know. It would be great. I really look forward to that. So let's talk some specific trade ideas and recommendations. Picks, pans, carry trades. How are you telling investors to set up for this year and beyond? Okay. Well, I'm going to focus on IG media, just given that... Um, Davis Hebert covers the bulk of the high yield media space. And I think there's just some cool stuff to talk about in IG media as well. So I will say, like, I think our call in terms of picks and pans, they've performed well to start the year. And it's kind of one of those things where like, now it's a little harder because like the stuff we liked has tightened, the stuff we didn't like has widened a lot. So it's getting a little more tricky. But on the pick side, Netflix still pretty confident on that one. So the reason there is that we see a mix of just one, this is a name that still has like a nice amount of yield, right? Like it still has a high yield rated at Moody's, still has a nice pickup. When we look at the fundamental trend and the credit metrics, low two times leverage already has like pretty solid IG metrics. And we also think that all these pressures that we talked about, right? We've heard all these other companies like Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, Paramount, they're all kind of talking about pulling back on their streaming ambitions and their content spend. And that really just plays like really well in, into Netflix's favor, right? They're already kind of the leader. They're already spending more than these other companies. And if they just maintain that, it'll allow them to rebuild their lead, I guess, against the peer. So we like that. And then on the technical side, 
we're still very confident that Moody's will upgrade this and all those investors that are kind of benchmark against the Barclays index, where Netflix is still in the high yield category, we think there's still going to just be like a really nice technical tailwind once this gets upgraded this year. And we think that could happen really at any time. And right now, just given that Netflix, because it's still in that high yield index for some of the investors, it moves around based on like high yield flows. And right now it's kind of at the wides and it's kind of has a nice, nice spread pickup. So we like that combination of just catalyst, nice fundamental outlook, nice competitive outlook, nice yield, good spread tightening potential. So that's still pretty confident in Netflix. When it comes to the pan, um, I'm going to go with Paramount here. So I've mentioned this before. So leverage going up from four times to five times. Free cash flow is going to be negative for the second consecutive year. A lot of strategic uncertainty for this company due to how small it is, due to its high leverage. You know, what's going to happen? Will it be broken up? Will it merge with someone? Those are the reasons we haven't liked it. And the problem with Paramount, though, is it's kind of underperformed already to start the year. So it's had like an excess return, 1%. The media sector itself is up like a little over half a percent. It's underperformed the IG index. And it is extremely cheap right now. It's 70 base points wide to Warner Brothers Discovery, which is actually rated one notch below it. We get a lot of questions from investors like no one really likes this fundamentally, but something is that unloved. It does make me really question myself. I would say this is a, another thing that keeps me up at night. When should I be positive on this company finally that I do not like fundamentally, but so cheap? So I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I still think that like really for this company to get much traction, we need to have like one of two things, ideally both. One is I think we would need to see um, just a kind of shift in sentiment on the sector. I think that we don't see the ad market stabilizing right now. We don't see the cord cutting like easing right now. So I don't really see that happening in the near term, but I think you would need kind of the rising tide lifts all boats thing to really kind of drive tightening at Paramount. Another could be an M&A deal, which as we discussed, you know, when it comes to the real transformational deals, I think that's probably 2024 business. A sale of like a BET or a Simon & Schuster, they're going to give a little bit of cash, but I don't think they're going to be like a real deleveraging play for Paramount. And then the other thing would just be some sort of operational inflection at Paramount. I do think in 2024, this company will finally just start to deleverage. It should hopefully generate positive free cash flow, but I don't think the market's ready to look out like a whole year ahead right now. So I'm thinking more of like if it stays around where it is now, once we get into the latter half, 23, like that's when you kind of consider flipping the wreck. Open any listeners, if they want to discuss this, please, you know, please give me a call, IB, email, anything. I'll move one more just on the carry trade side. So this Warner Brothers Discovery here, and this used to be like our top pick in the space. Heading into the year, it was our top pick, but it's performed incredibly well. It has an excess return of three percentage points better than the sector as a whole, probably four plus versus the IG index. So we like it the same reason I think a lot of other people like it. It's a constructive fundamental story where we're going from five times leverage to four times leverage, strong free cash flow generation, like the scale there. But we think now it's kind of shifted from a tightening play to just a carry play. So it's still triple B minus company offers a nice yield, but it's it's well inside of kind of the peer group. It also trades inside or paramount right, which is kind of a higher rated peer. That's 20 basis points inside of Charter IG, which I look at as kind of a pretty solid kind of triple B minus company. So we just don't have that tightening potential anymore. So I will stop there. Those are great. I think that it's very 
typical of a lot of the analysts that I've spoken with, where a lot of our trades have come to fruition much more quickly than anticipated. And so there's a little bit of a, okay, now what? Where do we go from here? And it's almost like you do have to start forecasting for 2024 to kind of reset recommendations, which feels like there's a long time between now and December, especially from the strategy perspective, where it's like, will the Fed be hiking? Will they be cutting? Will they be on hold? Like what is about to happen? So I sympathize with the plight of the analysts trying to make single name calls in this kind of crazy market. So let's wrap it up. Words of advice. I always love to hear what analysts are recommending to management teams. So if you had any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the media management teams for this year, what would you tell them? Okay. So I tried to think of something a little like that. I don't hear that much um, other than like make better content or something like that. Right. Which surprisingly, <laughs> you still hear these companies. You hear Bob Iger at Disney being like, we're going to spend less, but we're just going to spend more on like the good stuff. And it's like, yeah, obviously everyone wants to do that. If it was very easy, everyone would just be making Game of Thrones or just like these hit shows, but it is comical. I've heard multiple companies say we're going to cut spend, but we're going to just allocate it towards the good content. Anyway, I digress. So what I would advise these companies is, I think that's kind of related to what I was just talking about. I think they really need to do a better job of highlighting the kind of assets they have. And this, but what I mean by that is specifically these TV film libraries, the IP that they have. So everyone knows Disney has this Marvel stuff, the Star Wars stuff, but um, I think these companies just do a really bad job of highlighting how valuable that stuff is or quantifying it with actual numbers. So we have a company like AMC Networks, right? If you think of them, you know that they make The Walking Dead. You might think they did Breaking Bad or Mad Men, which they actually did not produce. Those were done by Sony and Lionsgate. But this company still generates around 350 to $400 million a year of high margin kind of content licensing revenue. And the whole business, all of AMC is only valued at $2.7 billion. Paramount, which I'm talking about, has a lot of kind of negative concerns because we focus on their like reported EBITDA, the kind of pressure at these like MTVs and BETs, like those networks, which are a big part of Paramount's profits. But this company has a deep, extremely valuable like library spanning just tons of TV series, dozens of just huge broadcast shows, films, and they just do a bad job of really breaking that out and showing like, here's how much we get in licensing. Here's the margin that we get. And also, I think they do a bad job because a lot of the weak free cash flow generation we've seen at some of these companies, Paramount in particular, a big driver of that is because they've been ramping up their TV and film production where you have this mismatch, right? If you're making a lot of films, TV shows to sell to Netflix or others or just build up your streaming platform, there's a timing mismatch, right? If you make a movie, you're going to spend all the money on it in the two years you're doing it, and then you gradually make money like once you release it. And the way that so all that cash goes out, but the way that it's done on a P&L accounting, those costs are amortized kind of over the lifespan of all the revenue that's going to be generated. So you have this mismatch, and I just think they do a really bad job of highlighting uh, like why that mismatch is happening, and also the fact that just they have these huge libraries, like very valuable stuff, and they need to kind of highlight that. I think that will support just kind of the overall company value and will allow investors to be more confident investing in this space, even though we have these headwinds to advertising, to cord cutting. That's really interesting that these media companies need a little 
marketing polish in terms of their own business in a way. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Hunter. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope all of our listeners did as well. As Hunter said, if you have any follow-up conversations, please feel free to reach out to us directly through Ask an Analyst. And you can also reach our colleague, Davis Bear, who covers high-yield media through those channels. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Hunter. Credit sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.